have you guys here. you but that sounded great appreciate you guys singing with Caleb and those guys and um, worshiping the Lord that way and uh, I, I failed at the welcome time Charlotte asked me if I would say a thank you to everybody who prayed for, uh, for she and Ray as they headed down uh, for her brother's funeral this past week and so I failed to do it at the welcome but I remembered Charlotte so I got you so um, I offered if she wanted to come up and but she didn't for some reason I don't know uh, but she wanted to thank you all for praying for and the family and safe travels back and forth. So um, thanks for doing that. Way to be a church family caring for each other. So uh, I, I'm really excited about this series that we're doing, this Made for More series. Because I think what happens a lot of times uh, in our lives as Christians is that we begin to um, get focused more on what life's expectations are for us, the stress of life, we start looking at um, just the details of life, the you know, work and family and uh, the things that we want to do and the things that we have to do and then the health issues that we have. And we start getting kind of bogged down and running around like chickens with their heads cut off and not really accomplishing anything in our lives. And so a series like this helps us to, I think, refocus and reprioritize our lives and to be able to begin doing stuff in our lives, responding to life in a way that has some real value and accomplishes something for our lives. And so you and I were, were made for more, and we're going to find out what that is in this series. We started last week, and we've got a few more um, weeks to go. But So Grace Community Church, Grace Point Church, again, we're a campus of Grace Community Church in Fremont. Um, exists, the purpose for it is to uh, challenge people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And then once they do that, we want them to get into the church family and develop relationships within that church family. And we want them to know more about who God is through spending time in God's Word, both in Sunday mornings and Bible studies and individually in, in their homes, knowing how to do that. And then getting involved, serving in a church in doing what God's called us to do that way, and then through reaching people for Christ, sharing the gospel with them. And it's, it's kind of a long way of doing things, and we're going to be launching Tiffin Campus here in the, in the next couple months, Lord willing, and continue to pray for that. There's some uh, permit issues. Um, so as they're building and remodeling and doing all kinds of stuff, there's always you know, permit issues they've got to deal with. So be praying for them down there that they can get that thing rolling. Uh, but hopefully in the next couple months or so, that'll get off the ground. But we thought, you know, while, while we do that, let's kind of bring this uh, mission of our church down to something that's a little more um, hands-on, a little more easy. And so we've come up with four Ds to kind of express what it is that we're going to be about. So as we do, um, as we spend time together as a church family, as, as we move forward as a church family, these are the four things that we're really going to be challenging people to consider and, to, and helping people do. First of all is discover truth. And so we want people to discover truth. Ultimately, the truth being Jesus Christ and our need for him as our Lord and Savior. And so we, that's our goal. That's our focus. That's why we do what we do. It's why we um, have the buildings the way they look and why we're trying to turn this building into something that's a little bit more updated and, 
and looking kind of cool and all that kind of stuff. It's why we do the series that we do. It's why we do the impact in the world and in our community that we want to be able to do and, and grow in doing. We want people to discover the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Once they discover the truth of Jesus Christ, then the next challenge is for them to decide and decide on following Jesus Christ. Decide on giving their life to Christ, receiving God's forgiveness of their sins through faith in Christ. And so that's the next step. So we can tell them about them, but then there's the challenge. They need to decide whether they're going to accept them as their Lord and Savior or not. Once that happens, then we want to help people to demonstrate the change that's going to happen. That's what we're going to be talking about primarily today. That if, if a person discovers the truth and they decide on Jesus Christ and they give their life to Christ, there is going to be change demonstrated. They're going to do life differently. And part of that doing life differently is that they're going to deploy for others. They're going to do things for others, encourage others, help others, both within their church family and then outside of the church family to those who need Jesus Christ. So last week, Pastor Kevin from the Fremont campus, um, talked about this idea of discovering truth and um, deciding on Jesus using John 9. So Jesus had an interaction with a man who was born blind, and uh, I'm not going to go into the full-blown review of that. You can go to ohiograce.com backslash media and look that up. And, and just a word on that, too. Um, we're going to be revamping our website, and so... Um, we, right now, when I preach, which is the majority of the time, that goes up on our podcast, it goes up on our Facebook page, but it'll also go up on our webpage, um, for ohiogracepoint.com, which currently isn't happening. But when Kevin's up on the big screen, all those will have Pastor Kevin or Pastor Tim, who's ever preaching in the, in the, at the main campus down there. So, but you can go there, ohiograce.com backslash media. You can either listen to it or watch Kevin walk around the stage talking about it. So, uh, but like the blind man in John 9, any person who's ever interacted with Jesus Christ, whether it was in the, when he was on earth or afterwards, as they interact with Jesus Christ, there is a response that takes place. You can't help but respond to the truth of Jesus Christ. You'll either reject it or you'll decide on it. And saying, well, I'm going to wait to make my decision is actually rejecting who Jesus Christ is and, the, and the, the gift that he offers. Today, we want to discover the truth that if you've decided on Jesus, that you will demonstrate change in your life. This is something that will happen. And we want to do that today by looking at two questions. How do we know there will be change? In other words, how can I, as a pastor, stand up here and say, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you will change? That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Especially in this day and age. You can't make strong statements today. You know, hey, you know, hey, if you, you, know, if you want, you, you can, and you don't want to make you feel bad, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a biblical truth that if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will see change in the way you think and the way you live. And then what will the change be? So we're going to look at those two things. So let's jump into this first of all. Uh, how do we know there's going to be change? Look at Ephesians 2. We're going to be 
jumping through uh, a bunch of different verses. I gave you some notes, and it has the verses in it, so you can go home this week and kind of work through it. You can kind of check me out and make sure that I'm actually teaching Scripture properly. But this is what uh, Paul says in Ephesians, and again, very uh, familiar to you guys if you've been attending here at all, because I, I usually go back to very similar or passages that I've talked about before, because one of the best ways of learning is repetition. So Ephesians chapter 2 says this, this is starting in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, through a gift, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works or, or doing good things, religious ritual, traditions, that kind of stuff, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Now, once you've accepted Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. So I want to kind of break this down for you a little bit, these verses. You can go to the next one, Don. So, how do we know, there's, there's three ways, there's a bunch, but three ways we're going to look at this morning, of how we know that there's going to be change in our lives. How can I, how can I as a pastor, be so uh, confident in making that statement? There's going to be three things we're going to look at. The first one is this, that it's God who saved us. Now, if you've been a part of church any length of time, you're like, well, duh, Harold, yeah, God saved us. But slow it down. God saved you. God saved you. God saved you. God doesn't do anything that isn't complete and perfect. And so when he saved you, it was complete and it was perfect. God did that. It wasn't something that you were like, okay, well, you know, we'll kind of do it. We'll test test ride this, we'll kind of check this out. If you came to Christ and you truly believed, yes, I'm going to put my faith in Christ and ask God to forgive me my sins, if that was a, a point in time in your past where you meant that, it was a genuine decision you made, that's all you did. God did the rest. And he saved you. So he made us alive. We were spiritually dead. He gave us spiritual life. That happened completely, perfectly. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Those are in a past tense. What that means is our salvation is so sure that it's as if we're already in heaven with him. So it is complete. It is perfect. Go to the next one. So this is, for by grace you've been saved. It's a gift through faith. The faith that we have is a gift of God. So I'm just showing you how complete this is. The faith that I place in Christ is actually a gift that God gives to me that I then in turn take and give back to him. So the faith that I have, in a sense, is not even my own. It's something that God has, he has to give that to me because I was spiritually dead and he had to do some sort of CPR, spiritual CPR on me that then provided me with the faith that I needed to put my faith in Christ, 
And so it's complete, it's perfect. And then he says, the good works that I do as a workmanship, or a, which is kind of a cool, um, another word for that is masterpiece. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, you know, I'm not worth anything. Hey, God's saying, you're a masterpiece. You've placed your faith in Christ. I have saved you and you are a masterpiece. And masterpieces, by the way, don't walk around going, look how great I am. Masterpieces point back to the, to the artist, right? So we pour it back. How do we do that? By the works that God prepared beforehand. So all those good works we talk about, those are important. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. Demonstrated change. Before, we were living for ourselves. Now, we've been saved, and now we do the good works that God calls us to do. We demonstrate change. We do things differently. We respond to life differently. We have, um, if you were to take our Connect class, which is, you find out about who Grace Point is, and, and if you want, you can become a member. Uh, you don't have to, but if you want, you can. But you fill out some paperwork, uh, just some you know, background information, you know, social security number, uh, no, just kidding, bank account, no, just kidding. Um, but you do some back, you know, background information, and in there, I'm just giving you a heads up, if you take this class in the future, we ask four different ways on whether you've decided on Jesus. We do that because we come from different angles, and it gives us a better idea of you know, where you're at. So I'm giving a little hint, okay? You're here this morning. Nobody else will know this. But if you take the Connect class and you fill out that paperwork and you answer those four questions, you only have to answer it the same way every time. Because salvation only happens one way. It's placing our faith in Jesus Christ and asking God to forgive us of our sins. And then God says, you're forgiven. You're not guilty. And I'm placing my Holy Spirit in you. So your response to that is only something to do with sin, that I'm a sinner, something to say, okay, I need salvation, and I'm placing my faith in Christ. And God says, I forgive you of your sins. The problem is, too often what I see is, um, you know, I love Jesus, and I pray to him, and uh, I read the Bible from time to time, and I try to go to church, and I try to be a good person. Listen, that's verse 10. That's after you're saved. Before you're saved, that doesn't help you, because you're spiritually dead. So, you do the good works, you demonstrate change after you're saved. God doesn't want you demonstrating change before you're saved, because it doesn't do anything for you. Which should, by the way, be a real, you know, kind of a relief for us as we're talking with people. We don't have to tell a person who's having, who's not a Christian, who's dealing with stuff in their life, and say, hey, change first. We don't have to tell them that. We just tell them about, you know, God loves you, and Jesus died for you, and he's here for you, and he, you just confess your sin to him, and he'll help you make the change in your life. So he saves us. It's a completed act. The second reason why we could be so confident is this. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son died on the cross, rose again. God the Holy Spirit sent and put into our lives. Ephesians 1 says, In him, or Jesus, because of salvation, 
So in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, discovered truth, having also believed, decided on Jesus, you were sealed in him with a Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, a pledge from God, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And so we can be confident that there's going to be change because God's Holy Spirit is living in us. We discover truth, we decide on Jesus, God forgives us, places his Holy Spirit in us, and his Holy Spirit is there to guarantee that we're going to heaven one day, but the Holy Spirit is also there to, to mark us as a possession of God. We are God's possession. For God to work in us, for God to move in us, for God to make us look different, and he promises his protection and we're living for his purposes, that's demonstrated change. You can't have God in your life and not see that happening. You can fight it, and sadly many of us do at times, but it's going to be a demonstrated change because God's Holy Spirit is living in us. Look what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. You remember our series 8? We went through the entire chapter of Romans in four weeks. So we really locked in there because Romans 8 is all about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And we need God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, helping us do the life that God's called us to live. He says, but if, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's salvation. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you decide on Jesus. By the way, those are my parentheses. That's not in the Bible. If you're like, that's not in my Bible. I know I'm kind of throwing in. It's the Herald Amplified Version. Um, and he does if you decide on him. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, think about the power that that took to raise Jesus Christ who died in hell for our sins, for the sins of the entire world, an eternity amount of sin, an infinite amount of sin. That power that took to raise Jesus will also give life and power the change to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the good works that God has planned for us are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we need to say no to the way we want to do life, the way we say no to the way we think life should be, which by the way, we have this all day long. We're constantly being uh, given a choice between whether I'm going to respond the way I want to or respond the way God wants me to. The way we move from doing it my way to doing it God's way is I say, God, give me the strength through your Holy Spirit to respond the way I need to, in spite of how I'm feeling, in spite of whatever it might be that's holding me back, whether it's a logical thing, whether it's an emotional thing, whether it's an anger thing, whether, whatever it is, we can come up with all kinds of excuses and God says, listen, I get it, but I've given you the Holy Spirit to respond like you're supposed to. That's a positive, that's a good thing. One of my concerns, I'll be totally honest with you, is I'm saying all this stuff and I get kind of passionate about it and sometimes I feel like my passion comes across as anger. <laughs> So, hopefully you don't hear me being angry. But this, this, is, this is Christianity 101. This is real life stuff. This is rubber meets the road stuff. And if we don't get this, you guys, it, it's going to mess us up in our Christianity. It's going to mess us up in our relationships. It's going to mess us up in everything we do. 
And we're not going to experience the joy that God wants us to have. This should be hugely encouraging to us. We shouldn't be walking. If you're walking out of here this morning, you're like, oh, dummy me, stupid me. You're missing a point. And please, Lord, don't let them miss the point. This isn't a time for me to beat up on you. It's not what I'm trying to do. I know me. If I was sitting in your seat, I'd be going, oh, stupid. I can't believe I, I'm so stupid. I can't, you know. No, don't hear it. That Hear it for what it is. God, if you've placed your faith in Christ, God saved you. It's done, complete. His Holy Spirit is in you to give you the strength to say no to whatever you're, you're thinking and feeling about how you should be responding. God's Spirit is at work in you to give you that strength. Well, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? What's, how do I respond? John 16. Jesus is saying, and I'm trying to do a lot in this series where Jesus is talking. <laughs> he said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, notice, the Holy Spirit never glorifies himself. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. Interesting. There's a whole bunch of bunch of doctrinal teaching out there that glorifies the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not about glorifying himself. Interesting. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, this was a promise that Jesus made to the disciples who were about to write the New Testament. But the truth for us is we have the New Testament. And so when we need to know what God wants us to do, it's right in front of us in black and red and white pages off-white pages. It's the Bible. And so when we need to know, God, what is it that you want me to do? We need to be in the Word, and then His Holy Spirit teaches us. He speaks to us through the Word. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding, and then we speak back in prayer. And then the third part is, how do we know? comes back to Romans again. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So, God has saved us, and that's complete. God's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do what it is that God calls us to do. The Holy Spirit's going to give us understanding of what to do. And the whole reason why he's doing that is so that we look act, think more like Jesus Christ. He's, God's not looking for a better version of you. That's out there today. Be a better version of you. No. Don't even be you. It's not Harold 2.0. It's Harold becoming more like Christ. It's you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose. That's what God saved you for. Think about that. God saved you so you become more like Jesus Christ. And so we, we, God works all things out for good. He does. If we love him and are called according to his purpose. If we say, I'm going to do life your way, and I want you to use me to, to represent Christ well. But I'm telling you, in my humble opinion, this is where a lot of Christians are. Well, here, I get all that, but you know, God hasn't blessed my life. No, I, I'm... I, I'm trying to do this with my job. I'm trying to do this with my house. I'm trying to do this with my hobbies. I'm trying to do this with my friends. I'm, I'm trying to do this with, uh, you know, life. I'm trying to... 
And, but God hasn't blessed me. So then my question back to them is, is that what God wants for you? Have you checked in with him recently on that? Maybe God doesn't want you changing your job, even though you think you should. I'm not saying, I'm not God here, so I'm not, I'm, you're going to have to have a conversation with him. Maybe God wants you to forgive somebody that you're unwilling to forgive. Maybe God wants you to make some choices in your life that are going to make you look kind of dumb to your non-Christian friends, and you're trying to look cool to them, but he's saying, no, 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 no. You're for my purposes. You're living for me. You're supposed to be like Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ didn't look cool to everybody. And so we're frustrated as Christians. Why isn't God blessing me? Why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? Well, maybe if we take a step back and go back to his word and say, oh, but the truth of the matter is, some of this stuff over here is not exa- and He doesn't want me doing that. And when we make that adjustment, when we demonstrate that change, then things start, I'm not saying they get easier, but you get priorities going, you get an understanding, and you get some peace involved in that, and you get some direction from that. So, that's how we can be confident that we know there's going to be change happening. If you've placed your faith in Christ, God's at work. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling a tension going on, that's not me. That's God. And so you have to have that conversation. I got my own challenges and things that I work through with God. So if you want to know what the change will be, second question, how do we know what that change is going to be? If God's making us into the image of Jesus Christ, then it's probably good that we look at Jesus Christ to see what the changes are going to be in our lives, right? Make sense? But what, I'll pro- you know, what some people may be thinking is that, well, Harold. I get that you want to talk about Jesus, but Jesus is God. And Jesus doesn't do anything wrong. He does everything perfectly right. And so I'd say, yes, you're right. You're you're correct. Jesus put on flesh. He became a man, 100% God, 100% man. He didn't do that just to die on the cross for us and rise again. He did it to give us an example of what we as imperfectly or perfectly imperfect people should be doing because if God, the Son, thought it was important to spend time with God the Father, then it makes perfect sense that we as humans, sinful as we are, that we should be spending time with God in the Word, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about. There's two ways the change is going to happen. There's going to be other changes, but these are two basic changes Um, And then through these changes, everything else flows, including the stuff we're going to talk about next week. In fact, if you're not doing these two things, then these other things we're going to talk about make no sense. If these aren't important to you, everything else is not going to be important to you. So these are the two things, two basic changes. The first one is we're going to have a commitment to spend time with God. So Luke is telling us about Jesus and what Jesus used to do. He says, but the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus, God the Son, took time 
to get away and spend time with God the Father. Now, he didn't need the Bible. We get that, right? Because the Bible is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus knew the Bible, right? He's the author of it. But he did get together and spend time with them in prayer. You know what the number one excuse that I hear is when people say, when I say, hey, you need to spend time in the Word? You know what the number one response from Christians who aren't doing it is? Oh, pastor, I'm just too busy. You don't know what my life is. I mean, I've got work I've got to do. I've got my house I've got to work on. And I've got uh, my sports I've got to do. And I've got um, my hobbies that I've got to do. And I've got my family stuff I've got to do. And, you know, we've got health things going on in our family. And it's just one after another after another. And listen, I get it. I'm human. I live on this earth with you. But if Jesus, who was inundated with people, from the moment he wakes up to the moment he went to bed at night, found time as God the Son to spend time with God the Father, then even more so, because of our crazy, stressful, full lives, we need to better find some time with the God who saved us to say, is this what you want for my life? Some of you guys, if you were to do that, you would be so freed up. You would realize, you know what? I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about that. And pretty soon, you're, you're reprioritizing things and you don't have to worry about these things. When, when I stand before the Lord... You guys know this. I, I, I like remodeling, and every house I buy, I, I tear into it. And I did it with this one, too. Getting a little old for it, but I did it. But when I stand before God one of these days, he's not going to go, hey, did you finally get that floor put in? He's not going to care about my house. He's not going to be, hey, Harold, uh, you know, I don't play softball anymore, but hey, did you go, you know, did you, you know, three for four the other day I saw before you died? Way to go. Now he's going to say, what did you do with Jesus Christ? What did, what did, you, did you spend time with me? Did you, did you represent me to other people? Did you help other people grow in their faith? That's what he's going to worry about. That's what he's going to be talking about. Not all the other stuff that we put into our lives. In Mark and Luke, it, it, they talk about... Um, Early in the morning, he got up. Sometimes he spent the whole night in prayer. He committed. He gave up sleep. Because he knew it was important to spend time. God isn't someone we add to our friends list and then check in from time to time. It's not a, he's not another thing we add to our life. He is our life. He is the one who says, this is how life should be. Let me free you up of all the stuff that you're doing that you don't need to be doing so you can be focused in on what needs to happen and, and the impact that that will make in people's lives. That's what's valuable. That's what's important. And so we, we need to spend time and then what flows out of that is a commitment to obey God. A commitment to obey God. 
But so that the world may know that I love the Father, Jesus talking here, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Now, if you're here two weeks ago, we talked about this verse. This is Jesus talking. He does exactly what the Father tells him to do. So Jesus, God the Son, went to God the Father and said, what do you want me to do today? He didn't take off on his own. He's demonstrating to us that we don't take off on our own. We, we meet with God. We say, okay, here's what today I think today should be, but help me to know. What do I need to be doing? What do I need to prioritize? What do I need to be doing in my life? You click through these other ones. So John 5, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. God the Son is saying this. He can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. This is Jesus. This is God the Son. This is what he did when he was on earth. Because this is what we need to be doing on earth. And if you think it's hard, remember this, and he went on a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about going to the cross. And I think a lot of times we think, wow, you know, um, you know, what I'm going through is really bad. And God needs to understand that what I'm going through is really bad, and so he needs to cut me some slack. Well, Jesus went to the cross for you and me. And it was a struggle in his flesh in that sense. And he's like, man, if there's another way of doing this, let's do it. But there isn't any other way. He had to do it. He's God. Only God could die for the sins, the infinite amount of sins in a person's life. And he says, not, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so we need to, we obey, we do what God's called us to do. It's difficult, yes, but we have the Holy Spirit living in us. I want to close with, uh, I found, a, I saw a, a survey um, and it was in a class that I took and I, I went and found some more information. There's a 2014 Lifeway Research Survey on the attitude of professing Christians, and I say professing because we don't know um, who's a Christian necessarily, but by their Acts, we'll know them. But uh, and what they had, uh, their, their attitudes towards spending time with God in the Bible and the impact it had on them. Now, the survey calls these people uh, Protestant churchgoers. Okay, so we would be considered Protestant churchgoers if you're here this morning. So I just want to, this is over and above Sunday mornings and Bible studies. Okay, this is churchgoers at home, what they do with the Bible. And here's the breakdown, 2,900 Protestant churchgoers. 19% or 551 of the 2,900 read the Bible daily. 18%, almost the same amount, rarely or never read the Bible. Churchgoers. Not, not your neighbor who doesn't go to church, co-worker who doesn't go to church. A person who says, I go to church. A Protestant church. Okay, so... We're assuming they're teaching the gospel there. Not all Protestant, Protestant churches do, but 25% uh, read a few times a week. In my house growing up, few was three. 14% um, read once a week, and 22% read once a month or a few times a month. 
I don't know about you, that's kind of a reality check in my head. And it's interesting because, you know, I have conversations with people. I, I, uh, I counsel with people. I have people calling in and texting in and emailing in and who are churchgoers and people who come on a regular basis churchgoers. And, and by the questions that they ask, by the way they respond to answers, I could almost guarantee you which one they are on here. And it's interesting because the survey laid out six things that were commonplace for people who were reading the Bible, so the 19%, people who were involved in the Bible on a regular basis. So here's, here's the results, or here's the outcome, here's the impact. There can, there's a commitment to confess sin to God. So a person who reads Scripture is someone who's going to be more willing to realize, okay, I've, I've done things wrong, and I need to confess my sin to God. Again, not for salvation, but for fellowship with God, because salvation is taken care of through Christ. Secondly, believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So a person who regularly reads Scripture will have great confidence that it's Jesus Christ who has saved them. People who don't read the Bible much, um, they may even come to church a lot, but you can only get so much here, you guys. Half of you guys are asleep anyways. Well, not half. But some of you guys are thinking, okay, my roast is going, so we've got to get this guy done. So I'm going to go for another two hours. That's just how I am. I'm just... <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. You guys must be really Christians. No. But reading the Bible... So two things here. Reading the Bible causes somebody to be more confident of who Jesus is and what they've done. Just a side note, what if you were to sit down and try to encourage your non-Christian friends and family to read the Bible? Just saying. Kind of an interesting twist. Three, choose to obey despite costs. 63% said they did it in the last month. In other words, I know what God's Word says I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking or what I'm afraid of, but I'm going to do what God's Word says. So they're more willing, because they're reading Scripture, they're more willing to do what God call, calls them to do in spite of what the cost might be, being made fun of, you know, you know whatever. Uh, four, pray for the salvation of others. You know, people who read Scripture begin to be, uh, care about the things that, that God cares about. And God desires that all men would come to Christ. All people will come to Christ. In this day and age, you've got to clarify that. All people... Will come to, that's God's heart. That's God's desire. That's why God the Son came. And as a person who's reading Scripture, that's going to begin to flow in you, and you're going to start realizing, oh my word, there are people in my life who don't know Christ, and I need to pray for them and share Christ with them. Read a book about growing spiritually, so you're going to say, okay, there's other ways. I need to find other ways, too, to help me understand. And then these people were also encouraged to read by a disciple and a mentor. We're going to be talking about this in the next couple of weeks. These people who are reading Scripture are doing so because somebody said, hey, it's important for you to read Scripture. Somebody who came alongside of them and encouraged them in their walk. These people understand what Jesus' command was of making disciples and teaching them all that I have taught you. Christians... That's our job. Not my job by myself. I do a lot of it. 
but it's not my job by myself. You guys need to get your boots on the ground and you need to be discipling people. You need to be coming alongside of people. You need to be helping people grow in their understanding of who Jesus Christ is. If you do that, they're going to be more apt to read Scripture. And if they read Scripture, they're going to know who God is and they're going to believe that He's the one who saved them. And then they're going to, in turn, go and begin to share Christ with other people. It's the discipleship-making process that Jesus talked about. All because of God's Word, the Bible. So what are the takeaways? Pretty simple. Number one, if you've discovered truth and you've decided on Jesus, then one of the demonstrated changes that will be happening in your life, even if it's hard, even if you're busy, is to look like Jesus and commit to spending time with God and His Word. God wants to meet with you personally. This is awesome. Thursday night Bible study, awesome, good stuff, fuse, good stuff. But God wants to meet with you personally as well. And then from there, a demonstrated change is that you're going to be committed to obey and do what God's called you to do. You're going to look like Christ. You're going to act like Christ. You're going to make an impact for Christ. You're going to be able to look at your life and all the priorities that you think, and you're going to be able to get rid of some of that stuff. You're going to be able to simplify things, and you're going to be able to get refocused. And those things are going to have new meaning for you. Things that God says to keep in your life. So I want to close with reading uh, a takeaway that Ed Stetzer, the president of Lifeway Research, had on this. You have it up on the screen. He says this after, you know, kind of looking through all the information. Then you can go to the next one. He says this, God's word is truth, so it should come as no surprise, (laughs) though it is for people, no surprise that reading and studying the Bible are still the activities that have the most impact on growth in this uh, attribute of spiritual maturity. As basic as that is, there are still numerous churchgoers who are not reading the Bible regularly. You simply won't grow if you don't know God and spend time in God's word. I thought that summarized it pretty clearly based off that survey and really what somebody would probably see within a church uh, in general. Let's go ahead and stand. Close in prayer. And uh, you guys can go home and discuss this amongst yourselves. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. And Lord, for us, it's, it's a matter of do we believe you or don't we believe you? Um, Do we trust you that your way of doing life is better than ours? Uh, Do we believe? uh, We believe that you died on the cross for our sins and that you placed your Holy Spirit in us, but do we believe that it's important to do what you've commanded us to do and as to spend time with you? Um, Those who truly know Christ will hear what you said this morning and will desire that for their lives. That's what your word says. Lord, help us, forgive us for the times that we let life and stuff get in our ways, in our way of our relationship with you. Lord, give us, um, just motivate us, encourage us, get us into your word, um, and help us to truly know who you are and what you mean for us. Praise things in Christ's name. Amen.